0: And so as the <clears throat> that thought resonates in our mind, is anyone worthy? It should remind us of everywhere we've been in the book of Revelation. There could not be a more fitting song to recap where we've been reminding us that eternity hinges upon this scroll being opened and there's only one person that can open it. That's where it led us to last week. Let me pray, and then we'll dive in. And so, Lord, as we dive now into Your Word, um, may those lofty thoughts of eternity and endings and apocalypse and all those things, may those things be true, sure, um, but may it just point us to the Lamb, um, to uh, the Christ, and so Jesus be glorified in our midst today. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll be seated. <clears throat> well, to to kick off our, our time, maybe just one question. One question will, will kick us back into gear to where we've been. And the question is this: Have you ever thought about how is the world going to end? Um, How will the whole thing end? What will be the signs of the times, right? That's how this is usually phrased. Will zombies indeed begin to walk across the earth? Like, is that part of it? Is is there going to be zombies everywhere? Um, Are airplanes going to crash from the sky? Like, is that going to be part of it? It What are all of the markers of of the signs of the times? And is there anything that we can really know for sure about that moment when everything begins to unfurl and unravel. Is there anything we can really know for real um, about all that? Uh, So with that said, we're going to be reminded today that the earth indeed will be terminated. (laughs) And so when the earth comes to termination, like what does that look like? So today may play out a lot like Zombieland. Uh, Today is going to be one of those... Messages or text of Scripture where you dive and you start looking at it, and it's, it, it, it kind of wraps your mind up really quick, really fast. Uh, the reality is that some people are going to be super freaked out by this passage right here. That's just reality. Like some of you right now, you're already sweating, your heart's palpitating. Just by me asking some of those questions, you're already starting to get nervous. and This freaks some of you out. That's just part of it. And then there are some of you who are enamored by this stuff. Like you can't get enough of it. You study it, you you watch the movies, you're diving in. That's just part of it. There are some of you who avoid texts like this, like the plague. You don't want to think anything about it. And then there are some of you that I guarantee you that if I looked in your Bible right now... In the book of Revelation, you have marked that sucker up and chewed through it and got charts and all kind of things, right, going on. Uh, So these are kind of the rounds. Well, regardless of that, this is a fascinating and exciting section of Scripture that we're going to hit today. And no matter where you fall, it serves two purposes. Uh, For the believer, it draws our heart to joy. Um, and for the unbeliever, it calls us to be drawn to this beautiful risen Christ who really does all of these things and so so far let 's get a, just a little recap of what we 've been through. Um, number one is this: John has told us everything so far about heaven so we 've looked everything John has said so far in chapters one through five has been about heaven, um, and so what it looks like, what its activity is you 'll remember the throne, the worship, all these kind of things, and then number two. Um, We've learned that the launch of eternity, or the end of times, has to do with a scroll, a, a very real scroll. And it can't, eternity can't begin until this scroll is unraveled and it begins to be read. Okay, So eternity can't launch until this. We've learned that. And then we learned that there's one person powerful enough to open the scroll, that being the song that we just sang. We saw that last week. Christ is the only one. He's the only one worthy to open and read the scroll. And so what is the scroll? The scroll could be said something like this. Maybe a title or maybe a deed to the universe or eternity itself. That's what the scroll is and it has to be read. And so one day Jesus will indeed take this scroll and it's sealed. It's sealed with seven seals. And so maybe we could image tape or something like that. But back in the day, we all know that kings had signet rings and they would put wax on a letter and they would stamp that ring in it, which would leave their emblem. So this seal, this this scroll has seven seals on it. And each of these seals have to be ripped off before the scroll can be read. And with today, we're going to find out that Jesus is going to start ripping off these seals. And with each seal being ripped off, there's going to be another thing that happens, not in heaven anymore, but now on earth. And so today, again, the question I began with is, what will happen? What can we know? Today, it's not going to be heaven anymore. It's going to be, what can we know will happen indeed on earth before us when we start seeing this? So again, like that just made some of y'all's blood pressure go up even higher, and some of you are leaning forward because you're giddy with excitement about this. So nonetheless, this is the text that we dive into today. I'll go ahead and tell you there is an interesting discussion. Um, I'll just call myself 50-50 at this point. Like if you really want to know where I'm at, we can go have lunch together or coffee together. There's basically two trains of thought. One is... That all of these things will happen historically in chunks. Okay, so these things will play out throughout chunks of history. Okay, like a slow growing oak tree, these seals will be unraveled before history. Okay, does that make sense? The other train of thought is that's not the way this is going to take place, that one day, within seven years, all of these things will happen real fast. Not like a slow-growing oak tree, but like a, um, uh, maybe a tornado or a whirlwind. So it just comes in and poof, all of these things occur. But that's kind of the, the two main lines of thought in a big nutshell. And sometimes it is best to just dive into the deep end off of the high dive and kick and flail until we make it to the side. And so that's what today is going to be. We're just going to dive in. Are you ready to swim through this text together? You ready? Ready? Okay, good. Let's dive in through this text together. First, we're going to see that one day there will be a time where four horsemen will show up. Now, this is not for those of you who were back in WWE days, but who were back in the WWF days. This goes way back. But this is not those four horsemen. This is not the Armstrong brothers, okay? Um, but four horsemen are going to show up. Chapter 6 of Revelation says this. Are you all ready? It don't matter, because we're going anyway. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red, its rider was permitted to take peace away from the earth so that people should slay one another and he was given a great sword and when he opened the third seal I heard the living uh, the third living creature say come and I looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hands and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say a quart of wheat for a denarii and three quarts of barley for a denarii and do not harm the oil and the wine And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Now, we can all breathe together and go, What on earth did I just read? That's a lot going on right there, isn't it? Okay, so with that said, I, I want to go ahead and tell you my personal presupposition in this area. I, I do think my my personal presupposition is that these are antichrists or false prophets, messiahs. Um, I don't think that this is just merely symbolic. Um, I, do, I don't think this represents ages, if you will. I think this is really people. Um, and so with that said, I, I've got some presuppositions that you can see on the screen. I think that I have those. Um, Here's why I think that. Number one, the Lamb is in control over these things release. Uh, The horses and the riders are instruments of judgment. The goal of each rider is to destroy, which fits the narrative of false prophets coming in Matthew chapter 24... It also fits what John has already prophesied in 1 John 2.18, that false prophets and antichrist are among us and they will continue to rise. And so the point of all of this is that these are coming to do a couple of things. Number one, to sift out true and false believers. And then number two, to bring a general judgment to mankind altogether. So I think it's not just symbolic because it seems very personal of what they're going to do throughout the text. It seems to make a lot more sense that way. And those truths will fit regardless of whether you believe that a rapture is going to occur before the tribulation, whether a rapture is going to happen after a tribulation, or whether you don't believe in a rapture at all and it's just all symbolic. It doesn't matter where you fit eschatologically. All of these things still fit now some of you guys right now just leaned in and was like, I want to talk about that more. But 90% of you went, what on earth did he just say? So, so these are all things that, that are coming. But nonetheless, forget all of where the rapture is going to happen or if it's going to happen, all that kind of stuff. Just, just know, if we're asking the question, what's going to happen at the end of times, we can know this for sure. These four horsemen are coming, whatever they look like. Whatever they sound like, whether they're governmental figures, or whether indeed a white horse hops out of heaven and starts doing wild stuff before our eyes. These things are indeed coming. We can know that for sure. So with that said, let's look again at what's going to happen with each horse, and maybe it'll make a little more sense. So, number one, the first seal was broken, and it brought in a moment, or it will bring in a moment, of worldwide peace. So, in the end times, before the end begins, there will be a season of worldwide peace. And we saw that with seal number one being broken and the white horse coming in. Notice that the horse had a bow, which is a symbol of rulership, but the horse had no, or the horse, but the rider had no arrows. And what that's alluding to is this, that he's coming in power, but he's not coming in power to use his bow to strike everybody to conquer in that way. Now we know he does conquer, but the whole point of him not having arrows is he's going to conquer in some other fashion. Now how could you bring about worldwide peace if you don't slaughter a bunch of people? Diplomacy. And so at some point... There's this coming thing that is going to bring about worldwide peace with diplomacy. And it will be a person or whatever season, however you want to look at, that brings about everybody going, yes, what this person says is true and right and everybody needs to get on board and the whole world will be so enamored with peace and want peace so bad at all costs... That they'll follow this person into complete peace, and the whole world will follow this person. So, this is something that we know can come. And so, people are so obsessed with this peace, and he'll have this dramatic display of conquering, meaning not necessarily waging war, but conquering the hearts of individuals so that they follow him. And so, he'll usher in this total allegiance and control. And how do we know that, it, that it's peaceful? Because the text didn't necessarily say that He brought in peace. Well, we know because the second horseman's coming in, and the second horseman removes what? He removes the peace that had come. And so this brings in the second seal to be open. So let's look at that together. In the second seal, when this world kind of comes to a culmination or end or whatever, there'll be a season of peace, but then there'll be worldwide tribulation there'll be strife that begins to occur. This is where we typically come in with the whole zombies and helicopters and airplanes crashing and all that kind of stuff. But let's look at seal 2. The second horse came out and it was a bright red horse. Now it had a sword in its hand, a giant sword, and it came to take peace away. And it took peace away by people who that were in this season of peace, who got frustrated with peace, started forming coups, whatever it is, and begin to slaughter one another. So that now peace is no longer the aroma of the world, but slaying one another is the aroma of the world. It's almost as if there'll come a season where humans don't love each other enough uh, to just value life in and of itself, and they'll slay one another for no reason at all. Sound familiar. So, so this is something that we know is coming, OK? So it'll be this dramatic display of slaughter, an unparalleled worldwide war, if you will. Maybe that's the way that it play out, plays out. Um, and it'll just remove this illusion of peace. Now, there also are people who will say, you know what, maybe that has already happened with people like Nero or Domitian or um, all of Constantine, you know, peace and war and all these. Maybe this is historical events and maybe it is. But we do know, regardless of how that plays out, that this is coming. Seal 2 will be broken and and peace will no longer exist but just slaughter. All right? Seal 3 was broken. Out comes seal three and a black horse shows up. The black horse shows up with a pair of scales. Now we all know that after seasons of peace and then moments of war, usually the thing that happens is financial collapse. And so in financial collapse, inflation would have occurred. And so the buying of wheat and barley would be so inflated that now there's scales to do this. And so this what's said here, this, these prices, um, where it says... Um, A quart of wheat will be sold for a denarii and three quarts of barley for a denarii. That's 12 times the normal price. So it would be something like this. There'll come a season, because of this war and everything that happens, that you go to buy bread and your bread no longer costs you $2, but your bread now costs you $25 for the loaf of bread. And so now there's this separation between rich and poor in a true subdivided way. Dramatic fashion. And so the rich keep getting richer, the poor keep getting poorer, and that separation occurs to where now there's financial dependence upon the government. So there'll come this moment to where you can't even afford to go to the grocery store and get bread and milk. I mean, imagine to go... You go to the grocery store to get a loaf of bread to make... I think a loaf of bread will make twenty sandwiches. Um, And and you go to get uh, twenty sandwiches for your family and some peanut butter and jelly and you walk out with a two hundred dollar bill well now you can't depend on yourself anymore now you've got to depend on the government to give you stuff and so this is what this kind of alludes to and so sellers will be the only ones who can afford the oil and the wine um, and then you get to seal number four so now seal number four will come and out comes a pale horse and this horse name is death Hades follows at the direction of this lamb And so remember, we went from peace to world slaughter to dependence, um, even food-wise on the government, which will lead to later in Revelation, which is naturally going to lead to sickness and death. It's just kind of the natural outflow, right? And we we use this word when you think about a pale horse. If somebody's sick in your family and you look at them and you want to tell them they're sick, you go, you're looking awfully... what? Looking awfully pale. You're looking awfully flush. And so this horse comes out representing this or looking this uh, to represent a, a cadaver, death itself. And so it'll show up reminding us of this. Now, I know that you guys have been to open casket funerals, right? And I'm not trying to be um, uh, disrespectful or anything like that. That's not my point. But any time I've ever been around a funeral and there's been an open casket, that person never looks like themselves. No matter how good they try, and somebody always comes up to me at like my granddad's funeral, and they were like, he looked just like himself. And I was like, I don't think we saw the same granddad. I don't, he, he didn't look just like himself. And so that's the thing. It's this life is sucked out of us will be the the imagery that's going on in the world around us. And so these things we can know will come, and 25% of the earth will be ravaged by sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. Welcome to safe haven. (laughs) What a text. And so then, secondly, we're going to see after this season... of of tribulation and after the season of peace and all this kind of stuff. Secondly, we'll see um, a time where God will then rip open the heavens. So we're asking the question, what will happen at the end? Well, those things will happen, but then this will happen. This gets us to chapter 6, verse 9. And so He opens the fifth seal. And when He opens the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the Word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And then when he had opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars fell from the sky to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves. And among the rocks of the mountain, calling to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who's seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So what do we know will happen? One, two, three, four seals will be open. These four horsemen will come through. You got peace, you got war, you got famine, you got death, and now all of a sudden the fifth seal is opened up. And when the fifth seal is opened up, all of a sudden you've got this moment where God begins to literally rip open the heavens. And we will, if on earth, and this plays out this way, be able to now see with earth and heaven ripped between the two to where you can see into the other dimension. How crazy cool is that? Now, I think about the Marvel movies because my brain functions in the Marvel movies. And I think about, you know, where they would do the spinny things and you're able to hop between dimensions and all this kind of stuff. Or remember in uh, the Endgame. Was it the Endgame? Was that the last one? The Endgame when it's opened up and all kind of... Things from one side was able to pass into the other side. You know what I'm talking about? Where it opened up and... Okay, we're going to watch Marvel next week. We're going to show... No, we will not do that. But nonetheless, you get the picture. And and all of a sudden, God Himself will rip open the sky somehow to see between dimensions. And what will they see? There will be this moment where God's vengeance, seal 5, is restrained. As it's opened, those who have been martyred for Christ will begin saying, "Is it time? Is it time that we get vengeance? Lord, is it time we've been faithful? Is this the moment that vengeance occurs?" And the Lord says, "Vengeance will come, but in my timing, not now." And so there'll be this season of this restrained grace. And God will have His vengeance and and retribution and justice, but again, in His time frame is what this is reminding us. And so there's no clearer allegiance to honoring Christ's suffering through martyrdom is what we see here. Somehow these martyrs are given this, this, this special place at the throne, at the altar, whatever it is. And so if we're asking the question, what will happen at the end of times? And if martyrdom is something that the Lord thought was, was strong enough for us to be reminded in the text, then what should that say to us personally and applicably? That we ought to be ready to stand even if it demands martyrdom. That's what it gets to. It gets to, there'll be this season where true disciples and false disciples will be sifted. And so the question is, during that season of sifting, if, and, and I've got my children here, if, 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 if it came down to someone bringing my children before me and saying, I'm going to put a bullet through all three of your children's heads... Unless you deny Christ, what will you do? Now I know when I said that, you can feel the weight of that, can't you? Because I can feel the weight of that as well. And this is not too foreign from us. Just a couple of years ago, all the stuff that was going on in Palestine where they were kneeling before the river, some of you guys remember this, hundreds of Christians where they would take them and they would kneel them before the river and put a throat to all of their necks and say, if you don't deny Christ, we're going to begin to cut throats. And what happened, played out live on TV, American TV, we're seeing these people being slaughtered. Martyrdom is something that has always been, and if you're asking the question, what will occur in the end according to the text, that's something that will grow. Are we willing, are we that enamored by Christ to stand even in the face of martyrdom? And that's the picture that's presented here. And it's a good call. It's it's a good call. I don't know if it's a good lunchtime conversation this afternoon, or maybe it is a good lunchtime conversation this afternoon, to where we sit around and ask, hey, whoa, if if we were alive during this time, what would that look like for you? Honey? (laughs) Sweetie? What would that look like for us? Me and Julie Beth need to be able to have that conversation of, hey, if if it came to denying Christ or somebody getting rid of Troy, what would you do? And that's what this text is calling us to consider, that level of love for Christ. It's radical, isn't it? It's, and I know it's radical because right now I can see every eyeball in the room. It's, it's a powerful text, but it's something we need to think about. And so seal six is then rim, ripped open. And at this point, everybody in here is going, but I sure don't hope in these. I don't, I don't want these six seals to happen in my lifetime. I don't. I don't want that, right? But here's the sixth seal. So we read about the sixth seal, and it became a a moment to where cosmic chaos itself begins. Now, this is usually what we typically think of when we think about end times. What does cosmic chaos look like? And we read about an earthquake and the sun going black and a full moon-like blood. Um, Stars fall from the sky. The sky is rolled back. The mountains move. Kings, powerful, generals, rich, poor, whatever. Everyone goes underground in hiding, begging for death. Now, if you think that this is only found one time in Scripture, and maybe that this is just symbolic throughout the book of Revelation, it's not. This is consistently spoken all the way throughout Scripture. I'll pop up. So there they are right there. There's several. uh, You can see the text, maybe just a little bit jumbled. This is the consistent picture painted throughout Scripture of what will happen in the end times. All of these verses say the exact same thing. Over a two, 3000 year span consistently prophesied. And so what the Scripture's telling us is that in the end, when the sixth seal is open, that cosmic chaos will be real. It's something that will really happen. And so there'll be this great earthquake. Now, we've seen some great earthquakes... But this earthquake will be unlike any other earthquake in that usually for an earthquake, a fault line begins to shift. This earthquake will be different in that all fault lines across the earth begin to shift simultaneously into one grand, great earthquake. And so when this happens you can see what would happen to mountains and they're shifting, literally the earth itself, the continents begin to shift and to do things that they have not done, I guess since the flood or however that plays itself out. And when that happens you can understand that volcanoes would naturally erupt unlike they've ever done before. And so as earth and all the fault lines begin to shift at once, all volcanoes begin to explode at once, And once all volcanoes begin to explode at once, lava, ash, all kind of stuff is passed into the sky. And once that happened, it would make sense that the sun would then what happen? Go dark. Because it's now covered up by all this ash and and spewage and all this kind of stuff. And so then the sun goes dark and then it says that stars will begin to fall. Now, I don't think that what this means here, and maybe it does, is that stars themselves are just in a pretty display like comets crossing the sky. where We go, oh, that's a cute little comet. I think what this is alluding to is stars in the Greek literally can mean meteors. And so we see meteors passing by. I think one happened maybe a month ago, and, and the, the storyline was, this is closer than it's ever been before, and we're narrowly going to miss this one, and all this kind of stuff. Well, what Scripture says is that one day, it won't narrowly miss anymore, that they'll all begin to fall as on earth, and this meteor shower will occur. So now you've got cosmic chaos, and at that point, the heavens open up, and everybody obviously runs and hides. Now, if anything makes sense to us, that would make perfect sense. If we saw all of those things going on, I don't know a sane soul who would walk out and go, well, I'm going to take a picture of this one. Just, look, look at this coming right at us. Let's get a picture. You know. And so everybody runs and hides, and, and they get underground, and so this becomes... And so the million-dollar question is, why... Why does it have to end that way? Why does it have to come to this? Well, here's why. Maybe that's the only way that the Lord finally gets everybody's attention, rips open the sky and says, Now you can do nothing but look at me. And everybody's terrified. And as He rips open the sky, the, the throne is seen. And it, there is God Almighty on the throne. And there's the Lamb standing beside Him. And every eye will have to force to be look right there. I can't look anywhere. No science can explain this. Nobody can fix this. Bill Gates is smart, but he can do nothing about this. That's the only one I can look at. And so every eye is forced... To look into eternity and see the Lord God Almighty. And in that moment, does that, will that bring you joy? Will that bring you fear? That's the question that John's pushing us towards. You see, he's examining our hearts. He's trying to get us to look at this and go, okay, how is your heart responding to this text? Is it bringing about, yes, yes. I cannot wait until the Lord vindicates Himself in that way and proves that He really is God Almighty. Or does it elicit in your heart, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know. And that's what it's doing. It's drawing us, like I said at the very beginning, it does two things. It draws the heart of the believer to consider the only way I'm escaping all of this is Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, God Almighty. And you just worship Jesus more. Or does it call you to go, Oh, I really need to get my stuff together. Because if it's calling you to that, then it's showing you that you actually need Jesus and not yourself because there's nothing you can do to fix that. That's what this text is doing for us. And so this seal is ripped off and then we'll wrap it up with this. We make it to chapter 7. And at that time, God will give a grand redemptive intermission, the text says. Look at chapter 7, verse 117. After this, after the sixth seal is ripped off, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or trees until we've sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, Every tribe of the sons of Israel, from Judah, from Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin were sealed. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that nobody could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen! Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of their throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Take a deep breath. Breathe it in. Breathe it in breathe in everything that we just read we we'll be reminded at some point angels will hold back winds from the four corners of the earth there will be complete calm if you will and as they do this there'll be another angel that emerges and this angel that emerges will have in his hand if you will a tattoo gun or branding iron if you will tattoo gun seems a little better because He is going to seal 144,000 people's foreheads with something, with the mark of God Himself. And so when this happens, there'll be destruction, it'll be put on Paul's, and there'll be 144,000 Jewish evangelists sealed. Again, I don't... I don't know. I don't know if that means it's a literal 144,000 people. Uh, my tendency is to believe it's a symbolic number of completion. God's going to do something to where there are Jewish people who come to know Christ. And before the end, He's going to make sure that Jews know the Christ as He brings about redemption to the Jews. There'll be the mark of the beast coming, but God will seal His followers with His own mark. And then there'll be multitudes from every nation worshiping together. There'll be the tribulation church having a worship service that's unparalleled. Some of you guys grew up went to Passion and all that kind of thing with the big, you know, those 100,000 people. That'll pale in comparison to this worship service that's going to erupt. People from every tribe, tongue, nation. Like, so rednecks with boots... We'll be worshiping next to uh, people, Aborigines, with bones through through their lips. We'll be worshiping next to Eskimos with fur. Like, everybody worshiping simultaneously in this grand worship service will erupt after these things occur. And then the question will be, what one commonality do they have, each and every one? And the only commonality they have is each in their own language will say, we have washed our robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's it. We don't speak the same language. We don't wear the same clothes. We don't like the same things. But the one Christ is the only one who saves humanity. My faith is in Him, and that's what got me to this grand worship service. And so in this moment, they will serve God. They'll serve the Lord and be sheltered by God Almighty, the text says.
1: That it's not a worship
0: service like now, but God Himself will hem together His followers like a hen gathers her chicks and will sit underneath the shelter of God Almighty. Like, listen, I, I, you've heard me say this before. I, I'm mad enough to say it. I'm, I'm a cuddler. I'm a, I'm a snuggler. That's my, that's my love language. But there's no cuddle and no snug as good as being hemmed in by God Almighty as He cuddles us. And so this will occur, and there'll be no more fear. There'll be no more terror for us. There'll be no more condemnation. We won't wonder, am I in or out? Am I doing good or bad? It's, it's like I'm under the shelter of God Almighty. This will occur, and then we'll enjoy the Lord's presence in a way that's unparalleled since the beginning of mankind. Adam and Eve, listen to me, used to walk with God the Scriptures say, in the garden, in the cool of the day. Like 90% of the time, I wonder if God even hears my prayers. You know? But you'll walk with Him in the garden in the cool of the day? Like, how cool is that? Like, it's not, God, I wonder what you're thinking. It's, hey, God, I got a question. Hey, 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 hey. Me, hey, let's talk real quick. Like, that Close. And there'll be no more hunger. There'll be no more thirst. According to the Scripture, there'll be no more sunburn. praise the Lord. (laughs) And the touch of Jesus Himself will be for you. And He'll wipe away any former guilt, pain, temptation, and memory of remorse in your former life. That's the greatest news to me. There'll come a day, and right now you can remember all of the things in your former life that you're ashamed of, but in Christ's presence, all memories of remorse gone. Praise the Lord. And the only way all of this is possible, the only way all this is possible is through the resurrected. Apart from the resurrection, our faith is in vain. So if you want to really know what inaugurated eternity, it was the resurrection. Because in that moment, death no longer reigned victorious. Death was conquered and defeated forever for the believer. So in a weird way, church, Happy Easter! as the band comes back up. I want to say three things. Christ is our hope. Christ is our joy. And according to this passage, Christ is our eternity. I do have three more pictures. I feel like I need to give you... Don't pop... Oh, there they are already on up. Yeah, boom. There we go. Um, I feel like... I need to go ahead and forewarn you for next week. And if you're like, Troy, if it's harsher than this week, brother, I ain't coming back. (laughs) Whoa! I feel like I need to go ahead and forewarn you for next week because once the seventh seal is open, brother, a whole nother level of things start taking place. And so if your image of Jesus is um, the meek Jesus that holds the Lamb... Um, or the GQ Jesus who holds the children, um, or we'll just call this one the hippie Jesus who likes to throw up the peace sign. Like if this is your image of Jesus, and there is that aspect of Jesus, I'm just going to need you, please, to study ahead, because He's going to blow all these out of the water. <laughs> And he's not going to fit in any of these categories because the Jesus that pops on the next scene next week is a warrior unlike any warrior you have ever seen in your life. Next time Jesus shows up, it'll be an unparalleled glory. And at the sake of one more Marvel reference, he will make Thor look like Minnie Mouse. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, another grand text. And I pray that your text had its effect today. like, That's all we tried to do, Lord. We just tried to look at your text. And I'm sure, I am positive, there's there's no way that we have it right. And I, I get that. God there's so many questions that occur throughout this text theologically, uh, that uh, uh, I just pray that through it all, we've lifted you high. That's my goal. That we've just seen you, we've been enamored by you, and we've seen that, however the end plays out. Our only hope is if we have confessed our sin, trusted in you Jesus, and washed our robe in the blood of the Lamb. May that be what this text calls us to if we're an unbeliever. And may that be what this text calls us to in rejoicing if we're a believer. So Lord Jesus, have your way as we worship one more time before we walk out of this room through song. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.